1: Hello, hi, and welcome to another episode of The Emma Gunn Show, and an episode from The Vaults. That's right, with nearly 500 episodes under our belts, can you even believe it? I thought we could revisit some of the conversations from The Emma Gunn Show archive that have really resonated with you, but that also cover topics that are central to what this podcast stands for, a hunger for knowledge, positivity, overcoming obstacles, and striving to be the best version of ourselves. If you are a long-time listener of this podcast, you may remember when this episode was first published. You may even have listened First Time Around, but I'm aware that new people find the show all the time. And with hundreds of episodes in the back catalogue, it can be quite the task to catch up. So, for this series, I'm bumping these conversations to the top of the feed, and my guest in this episode is Bianca Del Rio, the insult comic, drag queen, and winner of season six of RuPaul's Drag Race. I asked Bianca, real name Roy Haylock, to come on the podcast back in September 2018 because I so admired, and I can only honestly think of one word to describe this quality that Roy demonstrates, and that's how bulletproof he seems. Yes, I've seen him via the medium of a reality TV elimination show but what I can tell you this time around that I couldn't the last time is that the impression Roy left on me after we met has always remained. It's really positive, really uplifted and he's the sort of person that you spend time with and you just think anything is possible and furthermore you think anything is possible if I'm true to myself. If you could bottle Roy's sense of self and view of the world, I would be first in line to buy it. It is a magical elixir that not only means that Roy is centered and grounded, but which seems to draw the people around him into the same sort of safe orbit. He has the ability to read any room, suss out any nonsense, and well, if you ask his opinion, then expect the truth. When I decided to put together this series, this episode was one of the first that came to mind, and so I really hope you see the value in Roy's story and insights as much as I do. So without any further ado, let's head back into The Vaults and Bianca Del Rio on The Emma Gunn Show. Well, here's a turn up for the books. Bianca Del Rio is in the house. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm delighted to be hanging out with you. Well,
0: I'm delighted to chat with you.
1: Um, Do you come to London often?
0: Uh, Shockingly, I've been more in the UK than than expected lately, and I think, obviously, I I have not travelled extensively this much since Drag Race. Uh, Because of Drag Race, I've Mm -hmm. been travelling quite a bit. So I've been here rather frequently, and I was here uh, just about a month ago, doing my UK leg of the tour that I was on. So, yes, I want to say it's quite a few times a year. Wasn't Um,
1: that a sellout in Hammersmith?
0: uh, It was, and we did um, three nights, uh, so it was three nights. So It was thirty three hundred times three, which is kind of surreal. Yeah,
1: and the first time it was Troxy times three, so
0: uh, Troxy times two. two yeah, two. and each year it's gotten, which has been great. And I, I didn't think there was that many people in London that even knew who I was, so I thought, <laughs> you know, this is pretty amazing. But yeah, the UK, uh, I find, which is fascinating. Whenever I announce a tour, they sell much faster in the UK. Maybe because we're not as accessible as it is in America, or maybe because America's lazier. Um, <laughs> but it, it, they do sell. really really. really well here in the UK and Europe, which is what I just finished uh,
1: yesterday, actually. Because going through everything, like all the research and just like keeping track with what you've been doing recently, it has been nonstop. It's been travel, 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 work, work, work. Yes. And kind of going, taking a step back from that, you have the most incredible work ethic.
0: Well, I think that's what, what did I do any of this for? You know, I think being 43 helps. Um, I think having Drag Race later in my life gave me a clearer picture of what I wanted to do. Um, I had been doing drag for 23 years, so when you get this golden ticket, you don't waste it. You mm-hmm. don't sit back and, and cry about it. And also, for me, you know, what else am I going to do? Work at the post office? You know, am I going to have a real job? Am I going to, you know, I, I can't deliver mail or take care of children, so I figure <laughs> I got to do what I got to do, you know?
1: And the thing that you're in London at the moment for is to talk about Blame It On Bianca Del Rio, which is your book. Yes. Look at how beautiful she is.
0: Yeah, well, ex- it's photoshopped.
1: <laughs> but it's a glorious pink as well.
0: Yes, it is. Yes, yes, it is. Yes. Expert
1: on nothing with an opinion on everything. Um, if easily offended, maybe this one
0: back. Agreed and I think that's what's important. I mean I've kind of had this experience with a, with with people in general is that I think we live in a world now with social media where everyone feels that they are a social media warrior and they can mm-hmm. tell you their thoughts and you're supposed to listen to what they say mm-hmm. and, and mostly with a lot of the younger generation because I mean they feel whatever they say online is important and with my particular brand of comedy you may not like it and that's okay. Mm-hmm. I'm not threatened by you or your thoughts or your views. You're entitled to your opinion just like I I'm entitled to my opinion but when people say you can't say this or you can't say that I laugh. I can say whatever I want. You don't have to like it mm-hmm. but that's okay and I think that the younger people also with my brand they feel the need to just say something hateful for me to attack them online which is the thing that's laughable because I, I why would I waste my time trying to explain something to someone that I've never met and I'm not going to meet? Mm-hmm. You know the people that want to laugh and have a good time and also the people that realize that I'm a joke, mm-hmm. they get it. You know I mean I, I don't take myself seriously I mean, I'm a man in a wig, for Christ's sake. Like, I'm not curing cancer here. I'm mm. not your politician. I'm not your president. You know, I, I'm not anyone that you voted for. So fuck off. You don't like it? Move on. <laughs> can we curse? I didn't ask.
1: No, we can. We get oh, okay. absolutely cursed. Oh, okay. It's Go fine. Ahead. I'll just uh, tick that little okay, yeah. E button on the uh, upload. Yeah. Um, but you have this thing, because I watched season six of Drag Race, which uh-huh. you won. Yeah. And well, we all
0: kind of won. I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, everybody's, everybody's doing, doing great. Well. No, I mean, from our season, you know, everybody's doing great, and, and which has been wonderful. Courtney's doing fabulous, and Adore's doing great as well. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. I, mean, I think everyone does well out of drag as a franchise. Sure. I mean,
0: I think it's a great opportunity if you use it properly. And I think that that's where, you know, we come into a lot of the younger kids now on the show that just assume that once you win or once you appear on television mm-hmm. that everything magically happens. And it's like, no, the hustle is far harder than than you can imagine.
1: But I think speaking of the hustle, you have this excellent way. I do feel like reality shows can sometimes be a magnified, exaggerated, but a good example of what's going on in the world today. And the way that you navigated the reality show is, I guess, how you navigate life. And it was just see see a challenge, take it, do it to the best of your abilities. If you get kicked off, fine. If you don't, great. Tick that box, move on to the next one. Right. And I could see why... um, other people might tether themselves to you a little bit because you're just very grounded and solid and there's no kind of... Well, from what I've seen, there's no kind of oh, I don't really, I can't really sing. I'm not really a good rapper. No, so.
0: well, you can't. I mean, and, and thanks for the compliment. But I think that it's also just I know what I am, and and it's when I accepted to go on a show. You know, I auditioned for a television show, and then they said, "Do you want to do it?" And I accepted it. I said, "Yes." I'm putting myself in this situation mm. where people I wouldn't piss on were going to give me their critiques. You know, if they were on fire, I would walk away. But in the end, I agreed to this situation. So therefore. it could turn out really well or it could turn out really bad. No matter what happens, I would have to take full responsibility for it. Mm. And I think that's what's missing from a lot of the contestants. They go on. They think they're fierce and fabulous because their friends told them they were. And the thing is, it's a game. Someone's going to go home. Mm. Now, it's how you handle it when you go home. It's what you say after. It's how realistic you are with yourself in the situation. And you got to go, come on. It's not that serious. It's drag. And if I didn't win or or if I would have been kicked off, I wouldn't have been upset. I accepted this opportunity and this challenge challenge and went into it and if they didn't like me that was part of the game Mm -hmm. that was a risk I was taking
1: but that's a perspective I think that sometimes we talk about social media it gets a lot it gets lost a bit these days. sure
0: Well, everyone's an expert. You watch two episodes of Drag Race, and you're supposed to tell me what I'm supposed to do. (laughs) It's like fuck off. You're 13 years old. Fuck all the way off. And that's the thing that I do. That's the part that gets me. And I and I even see some of my you know drag friends from the show that they engage in this madness and argue with people online. Nothing gets solved in the comment section. And I also West didn't America. ask you to follow me. You don't, I, there's tons of people I'm not fond of. Kanye West. I could give two shits about what he has to say or what he's singing about. It doesn't mean that he's not talented or someone likes him. I don't. Mm. So you know how I handle that? I don't follow him. I don't buy magazines. I don't watch his interviews. It's not my thing. No. And do you think he gives two shits about me? No. And that's how the world originally worked. So, you know, it's, it's that type of thing. You know, 99% of the stuff they write, they're never going to say to your face anyway. Mm-hmm. So what does it matter to me? It, it it can't it can't invade my life. It doesn't mean that I'm not a human, mm-hmm. but I do, also don't entertain that bullshit.
1: Are you tamer in real life than you are on the stage?
0: Yes and no. I, I think that I'm capable. Obviously, I'm capable of being impossible, but I think that comes out of the the moment. You mm-hmm. know, I I try not to to get wrapped up in the madness of it. You know, when I'm working, Mm -hmm. I'm working. And when I'm on stage, I'm on stage. But Mm -hmm. also I have this great opportunity when I do a show that I have to do a meet and greet before the show, which is actually my favorite thing. I could do the meet and greet after the show. I could do it before. And I always like to do it before because then I can meet the people that I'm That are there that night, the people that are paying to see you and talk to you and you get to meet them and you find out who's fine or or who has the girlfriend or who's in the relationship or, you know, who's with their best friend that they hate or who's the couple that broke up but they bought the tickets too early. You know, that kind (laughs) of stuff, which fuels then conversations I can have during the show. So it's great to meet people and also humanizes you because people are often scared of you if they just saw what they saw on stage. Yes. You know, you can't be that all the time. That's too much work. No. Yeah.
1: You would if you were like that all the time. There would be moments when you would just be.
0: Oh God, I'd be crazy. (laughs) It wouldn't. It it doesn't. I don't think it works that way. And I think anybody who says,
1: "Well, I'm being me," eh,
0: it's too much work. Mm. No, no, no. It's kind of nuts.
1: I want to take you back, please. You are from. The Deep South. I am. Sassy-ass mouth.
0: (laughs) I'm so poetic. I can't
1: help it. It was beautiful. beautiful.
0: That was last minute. All that happens pretty quickly. Most people don't realize.
1: I can imagine. It's not. It's not week by week as we see it. Mm -mm. Um, So, Louisiana. Yeah. You went to New York. Yeah. Worked in the theater world Mm -hmm. doing costume. Then you went back to Louisiana. Uh Uh-huh. Back to New York. So, tell me about... Look, redoing my research, you have brilliantly talked about high school as being like, it's tough, get over it. Completely. Did Was it tough for you? Um, well, no.
0: I mean, I think that... Uh, I, I think I reverse it. You know, I think... When people say, was your life tough being gay? And I go, I just called it high school. You know, mm-hmm. obviously when you're different and I come from the fourth, I'm fourth out of five kids. So I was already different. I was the oldest boy. I was told I was different by my own family, but it didn't mean that I needed their acceptance. Mm-hmm. If anything, it gave me my drive and it made me just say, okay, you don't get me. And I didn't at the time even understand what I was. It wasn't like, okay, I'm gay. I'm going to be a drag queen. I'm going to work in the mm-hmm. theater. All of those things were just what was accepting of me. Mm-hmm. So I kind of navigated it into that world, but I knew if I allowed that static or that family Insanity to take over my life, that I would be a mess. So it was just like with everything that they said that was negative, I just moved towards whatever was accepting of me and more positive. You know, when I went to the theater, people were respectful of what I was doing. People called me talented and not a faggot. Yeah. Or people said, you know, you're not different. This is amazing. So that kind of stuff encouraged. So I just thought, do what you've got to do. It's like drag race, do what you got to do and then get out. Yeah. You know, and then you can assess your life. I can't blame my family. Or, or I have no ill towards them, it's like they didn't understand it. You know, you have five kids and one's not right. <laughs> By society standards, mm-hmm. you feel you might have failed as a parent or you might have felt you've done something. Um, so I didn't, I didn't feel like... I, I wasn't dealing with those feelings at that time, and mm-hmm. I didn't feel like, you know, you're horrible to me and this is my life. No, you just move on. It's what you do when people don't get you. You move on.
1: But I think what's interesting is a lot of people might... Take criticism, feel that they're different, and then try to change or conform. No, or then they move away from being true to themselves. I feel like that's what happens a lot. But what I,
0: or you find, you, or you find more of your truth. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that it was interesting. Not that I can compare myself to Barbara Streisand, but one of the things that was interesting I saw in an interview with her was that she grew up with a mother who said that she was not that talented and she wasn't pretty, and what was, and that she would never make it as an actress or a mm-hmm. star or whatever. I mean, obviously Barbara's more than more than just an actress, but it was that type of thing that gave her the drive to go into do it to say, look, I can show you. And Mm. I, I can relate to that saying people usually like to play the victim rather than apply it to real life. Mm. You know, there's, uh, what are you going to do?
1: And did you think, right, this is just a temporary thing. And then uh, well,
0: everything's temporary to me. Everything's temporary. I mean, you know, you're not promised tomorrow. So I thought, you know, just get through this and Mm -hmm. see what happens you know, but yet still live my life. You know, as I said, there was other outlets. I had theater. I had great mentors, you know, through theater and uh, that became really good friends of mine that I'm still close with that kind of shaped my life for me. And I didn't realize that they were shaping my life until I got older and I could sit back and say, wow, they really were nurturing and amazing and not in a parental way, but Mm -hmm. just in a you're all right, kid kind of way. And I think that was very helpful, which is one of the reasons why I feel the need to do that to people that are around now rather than dwell on the pity or go to social media and put all your business in the street. You know, no one really cares, you know, and I'm a firm believer in sympathy is not part of my drag aesthetic. Mm -hmm. So I don't want anyone to... Come see me in a show because they feel sorry for me. It's like if anything, come to the show to laugh. Get in, get out, form your own opinion. But I, I don't like that sympathetic tone, you know, that people have and or the need to be liked and mm. woe is me on social media. Because if anything, that makes me hate you more. <laughs> it makes me run the other way.
1: Do you think well, I I look at the reality show because let's face it, that's what it is. It's an edited show. And sure. I see the fact that you at no point need seem needy. You at no point seem to want anybody's approval. No. And well, actually, but, that was a strength.
0: Well, that's also just, and also, I didn't know if they were going to like that. And you, you have to understand, when you're there, you really don't know everybody's story because you know we don't speak to one another mm-hmm. aside from being on camera. We're not allowed to. So, therefore, I don't know if you're struggling with this issue or that issue until we're like in a room during Untucked. So your conversations and your confessionals each day are all separate. So I don't really know. I wasn't aware of everyone else's journey, mm-hmm. but I knew that that was not part of my life. I don't sit back and go. Well, well, this happened to me when I was... Lots of things have happened to me, but that's not my identity. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe that's my issue with people now, is they feel like, well, let me pull this out of the bag and see if that's going to help and make people like me. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't feel that way. I mean, I come from a world where drag queens didn't cry. <laughs> drag queens were fun and drank and did a good show. That it wasn't about all that pity party stuff.
1: Yeah, I think pity party is a very interesting thing because yeah. it, it's, it's big and it's almost... It's this... Um letting the world know that you have an excuse. Yeah. Almost like wanting Which a, is fine. A Which
0: is, you know, your struggles are one, or, or your story is, is wonderful. And I'm not to deny anybody's madness. I just find it convenient when people use it as a crutch mm-hmm. in the moment. And it's like, come on. We're talking about men in wigs. Think about this. You know, <laughs> it's men in lip syncing for their lives. It's about fun it's and toys. turn the party and entertain. It's not about... Uh, <laughs> like that, I don't understand that. I, th- then that's just me. Yeah. And some people can disagree, and I'm sure many will. But that's just my aesthetic. I don't, I don't believe in that.
1: As the great philosopher Dolly Parton said, in yes. the movie Straight Talk, piss or get off the potty.
0: Completely. And she also said that, you know, how are you going to get the rainbow if you don't go through the rain? And it's true. Focus more on the rainbow. Come on. It's not all, you know, and I'm not saying be, you know, polypositive about everything. And mm-hmm. the world's wonderful. I just mean that there just comes a place for me that I don't find that to be a crutch about drag you know, for me.
1: Yeah. Previously on the show, we've talked about things like mental health, anxiety, Mm -hmm. depression, and the fact that...
0: Then stay the fuck away from a reality (laughs) show. If you're experiencing any of those things, stay the fuck away from a reality show because they're going to make it part of the story and then it's going to become, you know, your tagline. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, it creates suspense and drama amongst people. So I I would encourage, if you have any issues, run, motherfucker, because it's, you know, I think it makes you even crazier.
1: But in those episodes i think we seem to be coming more to the the point of yes something might have happened to you sure. yes you you might actually walk into a crowded room and find it overwhelming and yeah I've definitely had that situation before. And what do I learn from that? Don't go into a crowd. Exactly.
0: Road. Yeah, yeah. I, I always tell people, like, you know, out of life in general, I, was like, I don't know what I want, but I know what I don't want, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is something that I've experienced as something that was awkward. And I think, you know, with your friends, you can have those conversations. With your family, you mm-hmm. can have any conversation you want. And I'm not saying that there's rules. I just find it's, it's for me, I'd rather focus on the work and then mm-hmm. you do what you got to do. You know, my job is to be a clown. I'm there. We're going to have a good time. And then we move on.
1: I also read about the time that you spent in New York yeah. in the theater. Yeah, that um, that was where you learnt the work ethic, and it was just be professional, be on time, yeah, do your job, and don't be a dick.
0: Well, that too. I think well, the amazing thing about that is they don't care. You know, I was working in the costume business, and I've always worked in costumes, just in general. And in New York, you know, here's a huge company that makes clothes for everything. So we make Mamma Mia, we make Lion King, we did Drowsy Chaperone, we did tons of stuff. And and what was fascinating is that it's a room full of brilliantly talented people that make magic. You know, and I don't think people realize what goes into Broadway costumes, but it's not just You know, they don't buy just a suit. They don't buy a dress. I mean, it's basically couture. It's Mm -hmm. made for these actresses. And, you know, you're lucky if a show runs extensively because then you're making duplicates of those clothes, which means the company makes money, which means you still have a job because uh, it is still a business. But what was great about that was y- they didn't care what your life was. You had to be there and it had to get done. They mm-hmm. don't care how you got it done, but you would have to get things done. So of course it was a struggle, you know, with figuring out being at work at eight 30 in the morning, you know, is pretty challenging when you're working at night and doing a show at midnight. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it's New York, you know, it's like you've got to keep afloat and it's not cheap to live there. So I was in, you know, bars at night and, and jobs, I was sewing during the day and you never knew when one was going to go because sometimes I was working five nights a week in the bar. Sometimes I'm working three, you know, it was the, the, the constant struggle all those years. So I picked two, two really uh, fun careers, but in the end it, you know, it had to kind of balance out.
1: How, how long did you do that for?
0: Uh, let's see. I was in New York. Oh, I was back in New York from 2005 until... I left which was 2014 so or maybe 2015 I left. It wasn't long after Drag Race that I moved because my lease was up and so I I just was like okay I need a break from New York because it was with the travel it was difficult mm-hmm. to get in and out of New York all the time.
1: It's intense.
0: Yeah it is and I was living in Hell's Kitchen so it was like really Impossible. And I was in a very small apartment, and I thought, you know, let me just take a break from this because I'm going to be traveling anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that's when I relocated to Los Angeles.
1: And when did, when you moved to New York and you were working, doing all the costumes and whatnot, were you? Did you immediately start working in bars and clubs as well?
0: No. When I got to New York, I decided I didn't want to do drag anymore. I was tired of it. And I had, you know, I'd had my fill because I was in New Orleans for many years doing it. And it just got to a point where I was like, "Mm." and then when I got this amazing job, I thought, well, let me focus on this. Let me just take a break or or whatever. Mm. You know, once again, it was a temporary moment where I thought this is what I want to do. And then I went and saw a couple of drag shows and I thought, oh, God, they're horrible. (laughs) (laughs) I thought, oh, fuck, I need to get back to work. And I did. And and that's slowly what progressed into doing both again so it just kind of balanced out
1: and the drag community in New York yeah I I have no idea what it would be like to be like a drag queen yeah Going, hi! Can I have a spot on the show? Or like, how it works?
0: Well, they're always. with the great thing about drag, in particular, is they're always welcoming. I mean, any. And I come from the South, where where they're really welcoming. There, they're always looking for someone new. They always need filler. They always need another individual up there. There's always someone who's not going to make it. There's always a drag queen who ends up in jail. So you might have a spot. <laughs> it's true. I mean, many people have had those moments. Um, so it just kind of evolved. I mean, in the beginning, I not in New York, but but in the beginning and in the South, I you know I did numbers and choreograph numbers with people. I didn't choreograph them, but I was in choreographed numbers, mm-hmm. um, and did the usual lip-syncing stuff. And I found I didn't like it. And then one day a host wasn't there, and they said, can you fill in? And I said, fine. So it all just kind of evolved into it. So it wasn't like I put in an application. It just, <laughs> I think that some drag queens run their moment, and they go, all right, they've done a year at this club, and then they move on to another one, especially in New York. Because um, when I first started in New York, there was maybe a handful of clubs, and now there's probably about you know, a dozen and a half that are in the same area. Mm-hmm. So it does get tricky, and, you know, you do have to find an audience. And the awkward thing is sometimes, you know, people would only go out on a Monday night. That was their night to party, so they only saw you there. And then you would see people on Wednesday because that was their night. So it all just kind of snowballed and worked out. And as long as the bar is making money, you can work, Mm -hmm. you know, which some drag queens forget is part of the deal. If they're not drinking, then you're not getting paid, and it's not business. So, you know, I've been hired and fired by many places.
1: And how do you take rejection?
0: You don't. I mean, you you see the writing on the wall before it happens. You see that a show with perhaps 30 people a night turned into 10, mm-hmm. you know, and it wasn't just the holiday weekend and it wasn't just this. I mean, you usually know, and people were very, any bar that I worked at in New York was very respectful and they were always very nice. And they always said, look, you know, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. And I would say, I can't fault you, you know, cause they did pay you a couple of weekends that things were shaky, but then you realize, you know, you're right. I can see that no one was here. And you know, the point is to, it's a business. Yeah. So then you just move on and you, you know, sometimes go down to two nights a week. And then the next time you're doing five nights a week and you, know, you just never know
1: and it's and it's earning your stripes i guess anyway Completely. whether it's doing costume whether it's doing drag it's like earning your stripes it's effect it, but there is a culture at the moment of I want to be famous. That's great. have it all immediately. Good luck.
0: (laughs) Good luck. I mean, I always say, you know, you can say, I want, I want, I want, but if you don't have anything to offer, and that doesn't mean that there's a right or wrong to the offering. You know, Mm -hmm. everybody has different tastes. If you hate me, you can love this one. You know, it's fine. And and I also, my big problem, I think, with drag queens in particular, especially when it comes to drag race, uh, because that's what people think drag is only drag race which is so insane to me because there's so much more to drag than mm-hmm. just drag race um, but of course with the show there's good and bad is that people can't like two people <laughs> it's like well I like her and I hate her or I hate Bianca and I love Adore I go you know what's silly Adore and I love each other so <laughs> why are you trying to pick sides it doesn't matter to, to us in particular you know I think that you can like sides of me and like sides of her and hate this about her and hate, it, it's fine it's not so black or white. But all of a sudden, it becomes football, you know?
1: It's interesting because I'm a plastic geek when it comes to the Marvel movies. My brother has been reading comics his entire life, and then I'm like, oh my god, did you see that thing in the movie? And he's like, you're such a plastic geek. And I feel the same way about Drag Race. I obviously really enjoy it and consume it, but, but I call myself a plastic drag fan no (laughs) using the the same sort of thing because as you say there is more to it
0: of course well i mean there's nothing wrong with celebrating the show and i think that's the the crazy thing obviously i wouldn't be sitting here talking you without it but i think with everything that comes to the surface it's good and bad Mm. you know and we've experienced some great things from it without a doubt. Mm -hmm. But then there's other things that come with it. You know, it's the bullshit and the people who think they're entitled or the people who think they're experts or the people think you stole this from so-and-so. Like, do do you even know the history Mm -hmm. of this? Or do you even know where that comes from? You know, Mm -hmm. have you ever seen Paris is Burning? Do you know who Charles Pierce is? Have you heard of Jimmy James, Jean Merman, Lady Bunny, Lip Sinka, you know, Jackie Beat? These are people that have done this longer than I've been around, Mm -hmm. you know, and done it beautifully and just because they're not on drag rate doesn't mean they should be discredited Mm -hmm. and we live in a world with a computer where you can just push a goddamn button and find out anything you want to find out yet people don't do the research they look at a picture and go oh honey she stole that oh that's so-and-so it's like girl shut up
1: (laughs) (laughs) i also i think it might have been uh trixie who said something about um people collecting drag queens like pokemon sure and i went to drag world in the uk recently with a beauty brand because they had done a collaboration with Courtney, mm-hmm. and I was really stunned and amazed when I walked in. Yeah, first of all, that I wasn't the only one who loved. Drag oh
0: drag. no, it's intense.
1: And it was it was unbelievably intense. And yeah. you realise that there was a queue. Katy had taken a break, and there was a queue of people just sitting. Yeah, that snaked around the entire. It's amazing. Which is incredible. Yeah, but um, what do, do you find that that's the case? Like, how do you put boundaries up between? Something that people consume on a TV show and the real human being.
0: Well, I think you just have to put out there what you put out there and then they can form their own opinions. Mm -hmm. I think it's very difficult to try to understand where someone comes from. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, I mean, we've seen it on the show with people that have, you know, necessarily didn't perform as well, or the outcome wasn't as great for them. And then later on, it became an issue online. And what's fascinating is that you have a chance to turn that around with mm-hmm. your people skills, with your public appearances, with your whatever. But sometimes what people see on that television is all they believe, mm-hmm. which is kind of insane. You know, there are human beings, they are people, they may not be happy with every choice they made. But that doesn't mean that they're bad people, mm-hmm. or they deserve some of the shit that these people attempt to give online or when these queens say, you're canceled or you're the, oh, fuck off. You know, you want to be canceled, then walk away, then be done. Why are you up my ass? Mm. And that's the thing that I don't understand. And many of my friends that have had those instances on the show, I've tried to encourage them by saying, you know, just don't fuel the fire. Let them have an opinion. Mm. Eventually they're going to get tired, but you're not going to stop me and my life and what I choose to do. And I think that you just have to look at the bigger picture Mm. and say, you know, as long as I'm enjoying it and as long as it's making sense and as long as business wise, no one else is losing their shirt or their home about it, then, then you keep doing what you're doing. I mean, someone's criticism isn't going to fuck with my passion. Yeah. That, that's not yeah. going to happen. Especially some phantom bitch online with a picture of like Jude Law as her profile shot. Or a fucking cat. It's always a bitch with a cat. It's a cat. <laughs> and her name is Dawn. And she's always bit like, fuck off, Dawn. <laughs> it kills me.
1: Completely. It's true, though. And
0: it's like, that's what you have to look at the foolishness of it. Mm. It's like, what? What do I care about your opinion you know wh- when it's so blatant just if you don't like me you don't like me we've established that we can move on
1: you have to do i think what do what frankenferter did in uh, the Rocky horror show which is just <laughs> i didn't make him for you exactly it's true, and
0: I think, I think people forget that. And I think that's where age has come in handy for me. It's like, you know, these children don't bother me. I lived before we had the Internet, mm-hmm. so it doesn't matter. You know, back in the day, you'd say, some, yeah, you'd say something hateful, and then you'd get beat up. I think some of these people deserve to be beat up for the shit they write. It's like there's no consequences. I think mm-hmm. that's what it is. And I think that, you know, they just type this and put it out into the world, and they think, well, my opinion's valid, and I post this, and so it's great, mm-hmm. great. That doesn't mean it applies to my life or that I have to follow it.
1: No, not Not at all.
0: It's ridiculous.
1: Um, Speaking of that whole idea of um, I want to be famous, I want to have it all immediately, Mm -hmm. it it definitely feels like you're somebody who had an opportunity – one and then you were like rolled up your sleeves and said, Now the work begins because you have been non stop,
0: yeah. Well, but that's also a choice, I think. That you know, you, I mean, I'm not a choice to work, I mean, you have a choice to work or to or to not work or to say the schedule's too much. And i you know, we've seen many of the queens that are like, I need a break, I'm exhausted. I'm like, for me, I've worked in bars as I said before with 30 people, I've worked in there with three people uh, at one o'clock in the morning where you know things were rough, and so I realize now what a great opportunity this is, and even when with- and people say you're working too much, is that there's, you know, a strategy to all of this, is that if you're traveling in America and you're doing two months in America nonstop uh, earlier this year, but I'd started that particular tour in Australia of a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. So, yes, it looks like I'm not taking a break, but it's been a year and a half since I've been to Australia. So now then the ball rolls into that court again. So then you start either a new show or, or the next phase of what you're doing.
1: You tour like uh, bands used to promote albums because it used to be bring... You know, album yeah. tour, album tour. Yeah. And when I saw that you were at Hammersmith again this year, I thought, wasn't she just here? Wasn't yeah. It, it's
0: it's yeah, expensive. but it's, it was about a year, about I think a little over a year and a half before. Mm. And that's the ticket is that you have to figure out what to do. And for me, what I've chosen to do, um, a lot of initially with with Drag Race in particular, there were a lot of amazing club gigs that I got to do. So you traveled and you went to certain cities and you would do one night and you would do 15, 20 minutes, um, depending on where you were. And then we globe trotted like that. And then after a couple of months I realized, okay, well, what I want to do is my show show. Mm -hmm. So then I no longer can do the club gigs because then it conflicts with you doing the show. So rather than it be a, it's not a strategic move. It's just that I can't do what I want to do in 15 minutes in a club Mm -hmm. where people are on their phones and people are not paying attention because I'm talking, you know, Mm -hmm. people, want to see you do a split. Some people want to see you do a death drop. Ooh, work it mama. Or somebody has a song to put out and I'm not doing any of that. Mm -hmm. So for me, the proper vehicle was to go into the theater. So Mm -hmm. a year and a half from each gig or two years, depending on which city we're in, is usually the time it takes for me to get around the world and back to you Mm -hmm. and then, you know, to do it in a theater. So I do give up those other gigs uh, because, and also there's, you know, 130 queens now or more Mm -hmm. um, that can... That, that are enjoying that success because it's a great, it's a great run. But for me, it was like, well, with what I do, I prefer to be in a theater. And also it weeds out the riffraff. You know, you're dealing with people that want to see you and people that are sitting down in a, in a nice theater to, to, to laugh, hopefully, uh, for an hour and a half.
1: And was it a case of I'll say yes to everything until I'm in a position to say no to something?
0: I say I always say say yes to everything. I always say yes to everything. But then I started to realize that you would that the audiences were not as receptive to what you were doing in that venue. It wasn't always set up properly. You know, sometimes when you're lip syncing, you don't need a sound system. You know, you, you just have a song, you're not dealing with a microphone. So microphones don't work. Sometimes you you know, you can't get that much done in fifteen minutes or or there was never really time allotted, but usually that's what it was. Mm-hmm. Um So you're dealing with a different crowd. You know, you're dealing also with drunk people that are, you know, at at midnight that are like, woo, woo, woo. You know, they don't want to hear you talk. They want to see some bitch twirl and jump and, you know, wear the costume she wore on TV. So that's a, so I started to realize that, you know, well, let me start looking. And also you got to remember that's another 20 years I've already been in a bar Mm -hmm. that I thought, well, what do you do? Do I complain about it or do I just find another way to go. And I said, well this would be a
1: better way for me. And you wrote this book, Blame it on Bianca Dar- Yeah. Bianca Daria. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bianca is the is the obviously is the English British pronunciation, but Bianca is what she would be called when she went on a gap year and came back and found yes. herself.
0: <laughs> I've been called many things. <laughs>
1: um, you, you said I've heard you say that you wrote this on a plane.
0: Well, a lot of it was written on a plane because we were. I, I knew I didn't want to write a book about myself. Uh, I think that's a little bit too egotistical. Uh, and I, I thought, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I just don't. I, I know who cares. <laughs> like you know, I think at this point, you know, we kind of talked everything to death, and what would be the point of putting in a book? And a lot of it, I don't remember. It's like. Uh I, I wouldn't... And also, it's not fair to do that to other people. And also, that's my life. That's my personal life.
1: But have you ever had friends who have said to you, I wish I could be a bit more like you? I wish I could be a bit... I wish Well, I the could-
0: people I pay say that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but in terms of just not getting affected by things or not being sensitive, or if someone says something mean or you just like, well, that's their opinion. Well, I mean, I
0: look, like I said, I can't say that I'm not human. I do find, but I think there's a, a, there's a filter system that I go with and then I, rather than run to social media and complain about that or, or, or make it the biggest issue or to, you know, to write about it in a book, you know, my, any situation that I have with someone else, uh, if it's, you know, a relationship of of any status, if it's friendship or this and you bother me, you hurt me, what good is it for me to go and discuss that publicly Mm -hmm. if I'm not talking, to you. Mm-hmm. And if I'm talking to you and you're telling me your truth and I'm hearing your truth and you're hearing mine and it doesn't work, then that's that. There is no reason to ridicule the other person. I'm not looking for anyone else's sympathy. So there's just that, that, that minute, you know, a day usually, depending on how severe it is, that I just have to go, okay, get over yourself and move on. Would you rather somebody lie to you? Would you rather be a victim? And none of those things I want to be. Uh, and I don't want to do that to other people because, you know, if you're in my life, you're in my life for a reason. And maybe this isn't working right now. But Or we find another level to work at. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, once again, everything is kind of temporary, you know, that you don't, not relationships in general, but I think that status of relationships or situations with people, eventually you come to common ground.
1: There's it's, an evolution. Completely. A...
0: Completely. But I, I don't let it, I can't let that weigh on my brain because mm-hmm. then you don't function. You know, the, in the end, you know, the most upsetting thing, and I've learned it once before, is that I remember, <laughs> like, In a tiff about a job I didn't get And it was just this ridiculous moment And I remember a friend of mine saying Do you know, you've spent two days Just wallowing in this, and I'm going to let you But day three, it's done And the bottom line is, remember That that person that didn't hire you Is not thinking about you right now And that was when it hit me, because I was pissed (laughs) I was like, oh, well I'm not going to give this bitch any more time And it made sense, because I started to realize Move on, Mm -hmm. there's always something else
1: don't hold grudges.
0: Oh God, no! Too old for that shit. I mean, I mean, I could sit there and think of horrible things, and I've said this a million times. I I try not to manifest hate, but on that level. But I go, they're gonna die. <laughs> they're gonna die. I'm gonna die. So why do I care? <laughs> you know, uh, you know. So I, I mean, the, I always say I, I'm not gonna worry because they're gonna die. I mean, I think the pisser would be if I die first, and it's like mm, my theory didn't work. But they're gonna die. You'll be looking down. <laughs> looking down. Looking up. Uh, okay, it's I think you, know, them, you know, let them. You know, let them. Live their lives. I'm not there to school someone on how they should treat other people, and Hmm. I can't tell you that you're wrong for your opinion.
1: Do you, uh, you're not a navel gazer, so I guess the process of writing a book about my name's Roy and I was born in Louisiana would just be like,
0: no, no, I I don't, I don't find that interesting. I wouldn't want to read it. (laughs) I don't, and I also find that, you know, there's never, I mean, I'm a biography, I I, I love biographies, but I, I just find that maybe, you know, at 80 years old, I'd want to sit down and write something, you know, but now it's kind of I really, dictate. no, but it's really egotistical to write it at this point, you know?
1: It's but kind you of like silly biographies.
0: I mean, I read them. You which know, I read them. What's your favorite? Uh, well, Betty Davis, this and that, is a great book. And then I read the one that her daughter wrote, which is called My Mother's Keeper, which is genius. It's kind of like the the version of Mommy Dearest that was written, but it was done, you know, much later. Uh, but and her mother was still alive, so that was some shady shit. But it is fascinating. Like, oh, you know, I would love to hear Betty Davis talk at you know eighty years old. Then mm-hmm. there's there, that's a story, you know. But to talk about yourself at forty years old for being a drag queen on a reality show is not. <laughs> It's not what I would call, you know, top selling, <laughs> top selling book. I mean, let's be real. New York Times is not going to scream with that. And also, what if I haven't done anything? So what does it matter? You know, like, come on.
1: No. Okay. I, I totally get it.
0: I mean, nothing that doesn't get past a podcast or an interview. Yeah. We've summed it up. It's yeah, not yeah. like, <laughs> well, what was first grade like? Girl, Please. No,
1: I thought
0: you, you know. can, were fine, wouldn't it? <laughs> so, no, I, I, I don't fall into that trap. And there's many other drag queens that would love to tell you their story.
1: <laughs> yep. Um, Let them tell it. Um, and, but it's perspective, isn't it? Like, uh, Rue wrote a book and it was, it's like a 12-minute...
0: So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything.
1: she covers off some personal things, but it's like how to manage these situations. Sure. It's not the navel-gazing kind of, this is the thing that made me the way I am. Or...
0: Well, I think, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I mean not to compare myself to Rue and Michelle, but, I mean, uh, knowing them, I, I get it. I mean, I don't find them to be that type of individual where it's all about vanity and, and grandness and let me tell the world my story. No, I think that they, they get it, mm-hmm. you know, and they have a sense of humor, and, and they also, you know, I mean, they're not many years older than me, but it's that type of thing where obviously Ru has accomplished a lot more than I have um, in this world. And, it, and I think that he can write whatever he wants to write, mm-hmm. you know? And and Michelle has been a huge part of, of his life and you know, vice versa, uh, of working together. So they have history and things that they want to talk about that people care to hear. Mm. Um, I don't think I'm at that place to even go there, you know?
1: I think um, from everyone that I've been in contact with from Drag Race, there is this sense of fun and but also very um Uplifting and building other people up, which is just, I wonder whether that's part of the attraction as well.
0: Uh, Yes and no. I mean, I definitely do it on a personal level, Mm -hmm. but on stage, I I will. (laughs) It's what it is. (laughs) But I think, uh, I mean, I'll talk shit about you, but I'll send you flowers. Um, But it's that type of thing. I think that once, uh, also another thing is what I established on the show was obviously a no-nonsense person that just says what I think. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not as though I did the show and was acting a certain way to be nice, and then now I'm not. Mm -hmm. Look, this is it. This is what you get. You know, everything is a joke to me. Everything is funny, which some people argue. Mm -hmm. But once again not my life you know and and i'm gonna do what i do and i think that it's important to laugh and have a good time with everything i mean we're we're all gonna die (laughs) (laughs) let's just once again it bears repeating we're all going to die so how do you want to die a miserable old bitch you know worried about something that happened five years ago or something that didn't go your way Mm. or just put your fucking wig on and smile (laughs) i mean come on it could be much worse
1: when you talk about yourself being hateful or that word gets used a lot yes bianca del rio hateful in google search
0: yeah Oh, it's a Google search? I didn't know that. (laughs)
1: If you type in Bianca Del Rio, it comes up with the option.
0: I was unaware. That's good. (laughs)
1: Um, But actually, I don't think that you are particularly hateful. I don't think anything, I don't think you come from a place of hate.
0: No, but I think that maybe publicly or to the average person, I'm not the goody-two-shoes, you know, kissing everybody's ass type of individual. Mm -hmm. So, you know... My brand, I mean, hate slash honest is what it is. My honest opinion of whatever I talk about is what I talk about, which is why I get, I get so fascinated by the people who say you can't say that I can say it it's my fucking opinion Mm. on this just like you're fucking tweeting at me you twat it's the it's your opinion I just happen to have a microphone Mm -hmm. and maybe a couple people that paid to hear it it's not your cup of tea you know and if it's not your cup of tea that's why they have coffee that's why we have coffee You know, and I think that's what's so odd about this world. And when I had the opportunity to do In Bed with Joan Rivers, which was one of my favorite things ever, is that she was very upfront and and she kind of switched things around because it was at the height of Drag Race for me after it happened. And I was, you know, at an airport scrolling through comments. And she says, why do you read it? And I was like, well, you know, I'm at the airport and I'm bored. She goes, don't bother because it's not going to help you. And I thought, that's great. But I thought, well, there's people being kind. And in the end, you realize that doesn't help you either Mm -hmm. because then you start to feed off of that and then you start to manifest this idea well I'm fabulous and I'm great no I'm a working clown who's having a good time Um, you know there's people that are curing cancer as I said there's people that are doing life-saving things but I'm out there having fun and if Mm -hmm. you want to come along for the ride come along if you don't cool Um, but I do find that that's where the sympathy comes in or the need to be liked or the need to. Be. No, some people are going to get it. Some people don't. I say usually the smart people get it. Mm-hmm. And if you can't, you can't, you know, focus on something else. We live in America. I mean, God, deal with Trump. <laughs> don't, don't come after me. But that's, but that's just me. So I think it's, um, I think being fun is, is a part of it. I think if you're comfortable with in your life, mm-hmm. you start to realize how lucky am I to, you know, to be in London today and put on a wig and go sign a book for people that want to see me. It ain't that bad. (laughs) You know what I mean?
1: Um, What was it like meeting... Dame Joan Rivers. Oh, the Who? best
0: thing in the world. Um, we had met, uh, that was one of the fabulous things about living in New York, is that, you know, New York, you can walk down the street, and that's, I mean, you see celebrities in Los Angeles, or probably here in London, but in New York, it's so condensed, you know, that it is not shocking to turn the corner and go, oh my god, that's Liza Minnelli. Um, but Joan was a huge theatre supporter, so any time there was a Broadway show, she was usually there opening night, she was a huge theatrical fanatic, and also with her grandson Cooper, she would constantly bring him to shows, and whenever I would be either at a show or you know someone sent me free tickets or what have you she was always gracious and always kind always took a picture and not we never discussed career or any of that she didn't know who the hell I was but she was always fabulous and I thought her people skills were amazing as Mm -hmm. far as being confronted or standing in a lobby of a theater you know anybody could walk up to you and she's so identifiable Mm -hmm. it's like well depending on what stage of her face she was in but they would come up and say Joan and she was always very gracious um that i had met her a couple times and had a couple photos with her but i had done a gay cruise where um, a comedian on the cruise by the name of tony tripoli was a writer for joan on fashion police and also a writer for her on in bed with joan and he reached out to me and he said would you be interested in doing this And i was like fuck yeah and um so we worked it out and it was in the summer and they flew me out to... Oh, actually, I was, I was not. I was supposed to do a show in Ohio. And at that point, I had been to Ohio three or four times doing bar gigs. So it was one of the few times I canceled. I said, I've got I've to do this, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, my management at the time said, uh, I don't think it's a good idea. She's not going to pay for you to go, and you're not getting paid for it. I go it's Joan fucking Rivers. And I didn't expect her to pay. She's Jewish. So I went ahead and bought the ticket and then we got there and, um, you know, we went in and filmed and that particular day was fascinating. And I've told this story quite a few times, but I'll I'll give you the shorter version is that day she had flown in from, um, New York. And so she was in LA and did the red eye and she had four in bed with Jones that day back to back. And it really does happen in Melissa Rivers house. And it really did happen in a basement room that there was there set up for her. Um, Um, And the guy before me was the Neve guy from that TV show Catfish on MTV. Not much personality. Oh, gray hair. Uh, He's the the one who got Catfish, the other guy. Okay. The other host. See what I mean? Mm -hmm. So he was the one before me, and the one after me was Leanne Rimes. Uh, insane. Uh, so uh, I had gone in. I'm the least known person on this roster, okay? And uh, I had gone in in a onesie because that was my travel wear. I had my hair and everything on, and I didn't know what I wanted to wear. I mean, I'm going in front of John Rivers. I thought, well, what do I bring? So I brought, like, three or four sequin options. And uh, so she was downstairs filming, and she was doing these back-to-back. I mean, after flying in at the time, she was 80, what, 81, I think, or 82? Because it was the same year she had passed away. So 82, I believe. Is it
1: really? And
0: um, so she, you know, came upstairs. And I'm like, what should I wear? She goes, I like this the ones i said perfect and we went down and filmed we were supposed to do i think it was 17 or 18 minutes was the uh, allotted time and we ended up cackling for about an hour of us just about everything we could possibly laugh and at one point we started laughing so much that they had to turn off the cameras because it was getting extra hateful but it was one of those (laughs) moments where you know i was a 10 year old boy and you're sitting in bed john rivers and something that you say she's laughing and i just thought I'm done. Like, you know, I can die now. I am good. It was that it was that wonderful. And they always say, you know, never meet your idols or never experience, but she was beyond lovely
1: that was going to be my question what happens when you crack a joke and Joan Rivers laughs
0: well you keep going and that was the thing is that you just thought oh if she's laughing at this well let me dig deeper and that was the thing but also it was very effortless I mean and it says something about her uh because a lot of people you know I've done interviews with or you watch someone like David Letterman who's almost you know his gig is to be an asshole to people uh when he's interviewing or they have a scripted list of things that they're going to discuss and there's no way to even kind of float mm. or they're not even listening and she was just that welcoming that you were just like oh you know how great i mean it was daunting in your brain before it started but once you sat down with her it was at ease I mean, we were sitting in a bed with her drinking wine i mean in the middle of the afternoon you know so it was it was one of those moments where you just kind of go wow how fucking lucky
1: mm. you know Her work ethic and how professional she is Completely It's just something It's just a legacy Among, you know, other things It's unreal And there's a quote, actually um, That I saw that you had said Oh, God but it's a quote by Cheetah Rivera. Mm. Every night you have to prove that you deserve to be there.
0: Yeah. Well, Cheetah Rivera was one of those people I met when I was in New York when I was 17, and I had gone to Kiss of the Spider Woman, and it's one of my favorite shows, and if you ever get a chance, look up any of the footage on YouTube, and you're going to scream. Because this woman, I believe at the time, was 62 or 63 at the height of it. I mean, this is Cheetah Rivera, the original Anita and West Side Story. She's phenomenal. But also a Broadway legend, and one of those people that when I met at 17, I'd seen the show maybe, be 10 times when I was when I was was I in New York. And I became friends with her makeup artist, Kate Best, who's a brilliant woman. I mean, basically, Cheetah was in drag. She looked gorgeous. You know, she had fabulous lashes and everything. Um, but I remember seeing the show the very first time, and I'm watching this entire production, and all I could keep my eyes on was this woman. And I thought, this is fascinating, you know? Like, I was reading her bio before and saw all of her credits, and I thought, oh, okay, she's been around. People are going to dance around her. They're going to hold her up, you know? And she came out, and she was the shit. I mm-hmm. mean, she is... Unfucking real. So each time I saw the show, she was just as fabulous as she was then. And I just, you know, when I had the opportunity to ask her backstage one night, I said, you know, how do you do it? She goes, every night you're, you have to prove that you deserve to be there because someone in the audience is going to go, oh, she didn't kick so high. You know, people don't care. Like, this is their moment. People have bought mm-hmm. the ticket. People are flying in or people are excited to see. It. You have to deliver. And that's when you have to get out of your own head. You know, mm-hmm. you can't worry about all this other fuckery or who's complaining on Twitter or, or someone's being rude to you. you got to do what you do. This is what you do. Mm-hmm. So, therefore, run with it. And, and live in that moment.
1: That applies to whether you're on the stage or whether you're...
0: Well, if you're whatever. a surgeon, whatever. You know, it's do what you gotta do. You know, do that transplant. You know, it's... <laughs> But I think people lose sight of that, you know, and then once again, it falls back to woe is me. No, fuck woe is me. You know, go, you know, go out and do something. I mean, you have a lot of time, I feel. You can have a day, you can have an hour to cry about something, but shit, move on. Mm -hmm. You have to, you have no choice because the world is going to move. You have to make the decision of what you're going to do.
1: Good advice. Let's talk about the um, two movies that you've done. Yeah. Hurricane Bianca (laughs) 1 and Hurricane Bianca 2 from Russia with Hate. Correct. Um, Movies, my friend.
0: Well, this 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 is what people fail to realize, that it's not my movie. I have a brilliant friend by the name of Matt Kugelman who we met in New York when I moved in 2005 and we immediately hit it off and he's an editor for CBS News and he was an aspiring filmmaker and he went to film school and he always wanted to make a movie. So before Drag Race, he was gung-ho on making this movie, and me, I'm always like, sure, whatever, never thinking it's going to happen, but then, because of the the Drag Race situation, we were able to raise the money and make this happen, and all of this was kind of in the works before.
1: Was it a crowdfunder?
0: Yes, it was, originally, yeah, because we started crowdfunding before I went on Drag Race, and once we raised a certain amount of money, I had to leave the world to go film, and you can't tell anyone that you were filming, so I think a majority of the people who donated thought I had taken the cash and gone to Tijuana and bought a donkey and some tits, (laughs) Because all of a sudden I was nowhere to be found and he couldn't say where I was for uh, quite a few weeks. So it looked really fucking sketchy. Um, So then when I got back, we continued the crowdfunding and then we were able to make it happen. But that's I mean, 90 percent of that was him and his ambition to make something happen. And I'm grateful that I even got to be a part of it. But people think that it was my film and it really wasn't is him. He's the one that makes it happen and then he I just show up and do what he wants me to do.
1: And then you just hand Bradley Cooper Willem and Shangela.
0: Yes, and that great well you know uh Willem and Shangela are both brilliant actors and they were you know um what's fabulous about them is that you know they've been working in, in theater and film I mean on television and film for quite some time. Uh so they've been around the block and they've done a lot of stuff. So I was great to see them get that mm. opportunity. I mean aside from getting to do the stuff for me, I was grateful to have them work with with, with us. But that kind of stardom i'm like that's brilliant and and kudos to them mm. you know
1: and working with matt obviously he's a, a friend and you do this together yeah but then you do this movie and you get people like rachel Dretch, who's yeah. just
0: amazing Truly the best. And then that was something that we, with the first film, we lucked out. You know, first of all, when you're doing an independent film and you're doing it as a crowdfunding, you don't know what you're going to get. And there were, you know, several situations and scenarios of of people that might have been a part of it. But then once Rachel got attached, we were like, oh, we can't. We got to do everything for her. Make sure that this happens. Mm -hmm. And she was truly like the fucking best. And once we did the first one and he said he wanted to do the second one. And there was a moment when conflicting schedules and she couldn't have. She was a possibility. She couldn't do it. I said, I wouldn't do it. You mm-hmm. know, I said, we have to, we have to make, and he freaked out. He's like, what are you doing? I said, it's not, I'm being a diva. I'm just saying that it's important mm-hmm. to have her. So we were originally, we were going to film in Texas again, uh, for, for majority of the film. And we were able to reschedule it to film in New York, which is great because also that led op- opened up a big window for us to have a lot of other cameos, which is like Wanda Sykes, who I've known for quite some time and who's lovely. I mean. I've known her. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't hang out. We have <laughs> in Fire Island because she has a house in Fire Island. When I worked in Fire Island, we would always see each other, and she's always been supportive and wonderful. And, you know, went out of her way. She, you know, she was in uh, Los Angeles and flew to New York to come film. Um, so, yeah, and Alan Cumming is another one that I've known for quite some time. So it, it's, it's interesting, you know, the gay world, <laughs> we, you know, <laughs> either met them at a party or saw them in an event or, or even casually spoken about stuff, and, and they all came on board. So, how lucky was I
1: and Janine Garofalo
0: oh Janine Garofalo who I love and and my friend Matt who we call Coogie is a Coogie. you know is a huge Janine Janine fan so he called me screaming and I was like oh this, like how great is that you know it's it just it's it's kind of surreal it's kind of surreal
1: one of my favorite films is The Truth About Cats and Dogs
0: yes oh brilliant oh, she's and high. the
1: line I have a poor minimizing mask on <laughs>
0: don't make me laugh <laughs> <laughs> she's brilliant <laughs> She's brilliant. And talk about a pro. I mean, came in and we were in this this dirty prison in, in I think it was New Jersey, um, that we were filming in, which we found out later they film a lot of those CSI, or whatever shows. So it's like this abandoned asbestos-filled prison that we were in for a couple of days. And there's Rachel Dratch and Jack, me and Rachel, Rachel drag, me in this hooker outfit, Janine in a lab coat. And we're just looking at each other like, okay, here we go. Three o'clock in the morning, like nothing is wrong. And then, of course, we got the giggles, so there's quite a few outtakes.
1: I, that's one of my favorite parts of the movie is I, I hope there's more on the extended.
0: There cat. is. And, and you know, we're, we're not doing Shakespeare. So, you know, it's a laugh a minute.
1: <laughs> um, right. My time with you is drawing to a close. No, which is Talk far-
0: as long as you want. What, we're, what are we at? We're which good. is
1: heartbreaking. We're good. Um, it does feel like you're taking over the world.
0: No, I think, I'm, I think I'm lucky to get to work. I mean, I think that's the thing. Uh, once again, uh, I think that whatever you're doing and if the world's ready to accept it, then you just roll with it. I mean, come on. it's, it's Right now for drag, it's pretty amazing. Mm. Um, I mean, look at Rue. Rue just won his third Emmy. The show just won for Best Direction. You know, uh, Delta Work just won for Wigs for Rue. I mean, that that's pretty amazing. I mean, that's like the Emmys, you mm. know, and, and that's surreal. And, and most people are probably... I mean, initially I thought, well, why is this, why is anything gay not being recognized? I mean, try to do a theatrical production or a TV show without a fag. I mean, let's be real. You know, you need a lesbian to hang the lights. You need a fag to write the story and do the dances. So I find it fascinating that in show business that it wasn't as big as it is. But I think, um, you know, with Drag Race in particular, I think it kind of humanized us. You know, there's there's a part of it where a handful of us seem like we're okay, <laughs> that the world's become a little more accepting, mm-hmm. you know? And and in my day, you had to go to a theater or you had to go to a gay bar to meet people, much mm-hmm. less a drag queen, because that's all they were. So the opportunities have been kind of surreal.
1: Uh, Cameron Michaels came to Brighton recently. And actually, yes. A friend of mine was there. And there was a bit of a hoo-ha, probably on social media, yeah. about, oh, we didn't know you were coming, we would have booked tickets. And Cameron, I think, did mm-hmm. a... um. Alive something or other just saying, if you're not supporting these clubs and these queens. Yeah. All the time, then you're not going to hear about me coming here.
0: Of course. Well, also I was that girl in the club. I was that queen that did that for years, mm. you know, so I'm well aware. The only opportunity that, I mean, the thing that shifted for me was getting to be on television. Mm. So I'm aware of that. And I, I was that person. And so it's a big deal when you go to those places and it's like, come on, these people are working and all it takes is one little thing mm. to switch over. And I'm not saying that the ultimate goal is always drag race. I'm just saying that I know in a minute that that could be my life, and it was my life, so it 's that kind of a thing you do have much respect for that, but you know as i said do- there 's good and bad with all of it,
1: and you were the kind of the, the hype the hype man, the warm up and yeah the, the, for the um, drag race screenings. Sure, yeah, for, that for a right? couple of years, yeah. yeah, yeah. Because
0: um, they would do the screenings in New York and, and they needed somebody to, you know, there'd be 14 queens coming in to do whatever they were doing. <gasps> and uh, they needed somebody just to move it along. And those were the, the gigs that I would do, was just to get them on stage, get them off stage.
1: <laughs> You're very quick. Yeah, and we- is that a skill that... One is somewhat born with, but then one learns on the job.
0: I think. I think many people learn it on the job. I think trial and error. As I said I had a lot of practice, mm. and also I don't care. So <laughs> anything can become a story, uh, and anything can become a joke, uh, whether it's the person sitting in front of me or myself, or mm. or whoever's coming up next. And I think that that's I think that's what's important to put out there in the world now, because people now feel. Uh, or I shouldn't say now, Uh, most people or, or anybody who has a problem with anything that I do usually is looking for that sympathetic individual. And drag in the beginning was, you know, an escape. We were gay men that weren't accepted as gay men. So we did drag. And even then you were even outed by that mm-hmm. you know i mean there was clubs when i was younger that you couldn't go in if you were a drag queen because this was a leather man's club or mm-hmm. this was all about the boys and if you came in it would be a distraction and now those boys and those leather men are running out of the bar to take a picture with me so it is fascinating to see how the tides have changed but i think it's fair to you know to find what you do there's no right or wrong with drag there's a thousand different ways to do it um i always say you know do a google search find out who was there before you and mm-hmm. be fascinated by some of the performers that were there um and then you find what works for you. So for me it was it was I knew I didn't I knew what I didn't want to do. I knew I didn't want to do lip sync anymore. I knew I didn't mm-hmm. want to, you know, do numbers. There were people that do that better. You know, and I know I make jokes about splits and, and death drops. I can't do it. So mm-hmm. I kudos, girl, do it. Have a blast and I can appreciate it. But it's not my thing. So don't expect me to do what everyone else is doing, or just mm-hmm. sit back and enjoy the show. I mean, I think the minute you have a queen that sings and a queen that dances and a queen that does comedy and a queen that does costume looks. That's a great show. Mm-hmm. It's not about following a formula. It's looking at what everybody else is doing and going, hey, I like that.
1: One of the things if you look at um, drag races that I didn't know was about the houses and about the families and like the House of oh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had no idea. But yeah. you, correct me if I'm wrong, wouldn't say that you had a drag race. Hell home. no. <laughs> No, who would who would claim this?
0: <laughs> no, and I don't want that responsibility. So I people have said, "Would you be my?" Hell, no! I don't want that responsibility. Go and find your way. You know, for me, it was through theater. It was God, basically my drag mother. You know, and and bits and pieces. As I said, it wasn't a literal thing. It wasn't like okay, this is what you have to do. You just kind of learn from other people. And even when when I've traveled um, in the early year of of drag race for me because it's been five years now but that year after when we would do a lot of shows together you know you're in a dressing room with you know 10 other queens and then you start going what is that lipstick or what are you doing with your eye or what is that lash and so you kind of pick up things from other people so I think it's great to be around Mm -hmm. lots of people but I don't think you should ever strive to do what one individual's doing because nobody's really doing it right, and it may not be fitted for you, mm. you know. And you're going to be compared, God for oh, they love to compare you.
1: Um, talking about makeup, yeah, nearly 20 years as a beauty journalist, I think it's important I ask you about the Bianca remover,
0: yes. Well, I have a great friend of mine named Rob Harmon, who's in New York. Uh, he's been my friend for about 15 years, and uh, he is a makeup artist on Wicked. And he uh, you know, paints Alphaba, and I think he's kind of moved into makeup and hair now. Uh, he's done both. But he created this brilliant product called the Magic Pads, which was uh, basically for acne-prone skin or oily skin. And it was used as, not necessarily as a cleanser, but you would clean your face and then you would use these pads after to kind of remove any excess dirt or any buildup. And Mm -hmm. unlike, say, the, what we call in America the Oxy pads, these Mm -hmm. don't contain alcohol or anything. So he was very successful with that. And we had gone, I was in Australia and I was doing a show and Australia is very close to Bali. And I said I was going to spend a couple of days in Bali, random vacation, which I never do. And my friend Rob says, you know, I had never been to Bali. So we came to Bali. We're sitting in a pool I'm drinking, and uh, he said, I'd like to do a beauty product with you. I said, well, no one is going to buy beauty from me. No one's going to go, oh, I want to look like her. I said, but I would do a remover. Uh, I said, because if it removes my face, then it could remove the average woman's face. Um, And he said, okay, let's talk about this. You know, what do you use? What's important? What can I help your skin? And I said, you know, there's tons of things out there, but this is what works best for me. And we kind of broke it down. And then literally within two months after, he sent me a prototype and he says, do you want to do it? And I said, let's fucking roll. Let's do it. And so we did. So it wasn't, I would never do anything that I didn't believe in, but I also wouldn't do anything that, a vanity thing where, this is Bianca's lipstick. That's that's not going to be for me. That doesn't work.
1: <laughs> but that's the thing. You're very true to yourself, but you know yourself. Yeah. so when someone says, let's do a beauty product, you don't get drunk on the idea of, oh, I'm going to have a range with 15 colors. You, no. No, because no, right no, I think... Is
0: this. Well, I think it's going to... Well, first of all, my first instinct is to go, how do you sell 15 colors? What if they only <laughs> like the first two colors? I mean, I look at it that way. But also, you know, people have said, well, you should sell eyelashes. I go, well, that's insane because, I mean, I wear four pair on top and a pair on the bottom. No matter what you buy, you're not going to look like my eye. And who the fuck wants to look like a rabbit? You know, who wants those lashes? You know, it's like a big rake sitting on your eye. So, no, I thought, you know, with the remover, I thought this would work. And, and especially with all the drag friends I have, I thought, you know, you have to get out of makeup rather quickly to get home, to go to bed, to get on the flight the next day. So what's going to work for you? Mm. You know, so it was one of the things that I thought, yeah, I'll be a part of it.
1: And no alcohol, did you say? No,
0: no alcohol. No, it's all, it's all. Yeah, I need to bring you some. You should have told me. I would have brought you some. Um,
1: I'll take them off you. But are they available on Amazon?
0: They're available on Amazon, Amazon UK. And they're also available on themagicpads.com, which is his other product, but it's his website that has the other things. So just for the record, because I've had people do this, the Magic Pads are different than the Bianca Remover. Mm -hmm. The Magic Pads is obviously an after-cleansing situation, and the Magic uh, the Bianca Remover is to remove your makeup. And then you can wash your face. This is just to get the buildup off, because even a dermatologist many years ago had told me when I was using all these expensive foam cleansers and everything to get my makeup off. The problem was is that it wasn't even getting to my skin. I mean, half the bottle was being used just to try to break it up. So the Bianca remover breaks up mascara and liner and and this other thing that we use as drag queens, which is called Prosade, which is a surgical adhesive we use to cover our eyebrows. And it removes that, which is the bitch to get off. I mean, if you don't use anything like the Bianca Well, I mean, you know, if you don't have anything to get it off, it's you'll here in the airport the next day just picking your brow. It's so gross. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I mean it removes everything. And then you can wash your face, use whatever you want.
1: It's it's fantastic. It's brilliant. I am going to obviously because we want people to know the difference between the uh Bianca remover and the magic pads, I will obviously be putting the links in the show notes. Yes. Oh please do. And I will obviously be putting the links in the show notes to uh, Hurricane Bianca 1 and 2.
0: Yes, it's on it's on Netflix. Uh, actually, Hurricane Bianca 2 is on Netflix now, I think, globally, which is great. So that just happened.
1: It went on Netflix two days after the day that I bought it on iTunes.
0: Oh. oh. <laughs> so I owe you $18, right?
1: Well, no, because um, your friend of mine, she's not really my friend, but I'm just going to say it for the okay. tape, Michelle Visage, she once made a point, and I totally believe it, of... Um, if you love queens, they have to make money, honey. Yeah, of course. Buy their shit. Of course. And I have, being a writer, lots of my friends are authors, and so the day their books come out, I go and I spend my money. Oh, well, I that's
0: amazing. Them. Well, you know, the, the, look, the support is great, but also for me, in particular, with something like the movie, I, the point of that, I don't even get paid for the movie because I, I just, whatever I make, I give back to create another, mm-hmm. you know, another project. Funding. But it's that kind of a thing where, you know, there's a whole budget. And that's what I thing too is that people don't realize what's involved and not that once again, it's not about sympathy. It's like, look, this is what it costs to do it. You know, you got to fly your ass from here to there to do this, to do that and, and make it all happen. So it doesn't, just happen for you. You have to kind of produce that and make that happen. And it is a business. I mean, it's show business. I mean, you're welcome to come to the show and not buy anything. That's fine too. You know. And as I said before, it's important to what I'm there to do is the show. You know, I'm not there to to you know have you come buy Bianca bed or Bianca lashes or or any of that other shit. You know, that's to me is 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 as we say in the South, lanyap, a nice little extra bonus if if people are interested, lanyap, yeah.
1: What's, what is Lanyard. it? It's, it's, I don't know.
0: It was a, it's, it's a term. I think it's a Cajun term uh, in Louisiana. And it's just kind of like a little bit extra on the side or a little extra special.
1: Yeah. Oh, I'm going to use it. Yeah.
0: That. So it's like if you, you know, uh, if you say you pay eight, you, have, you give someone a $20 bill mm-hmm. or they give you a $20 bill and they say, oh, it's only $18. I go, oh, we'll keep it. And you go, oh, thanks to Lanyap. It's that yeah, kind of a thing. Yeah. You would. A little it extra. It's kind of like a little tip, a little something. Yeah.
1: A little extra something. A little
0: something. A little extra. Yeah
1: is um would you do a hurricane beyond three
0: yes well there's t- totally they have a whole premise and a whole thing set up now we just have to figure out scheduling
1: I do hope that you're in the white house
0: okay. <laughs> you never know you never know I think there was some talk about me being in Africa <laughs> uh, which let's go let's see how it rolls you know I'm to anything I just went to South Africa for the first time and it was it was quite magical
1: is, is has that been one of the most interesting things about all of this is just traveling the, the world travel and seeing
0: well it's also amazing what you don't see a lot of I see a lot of the airports and I see a lot of the hotels Because depending on the schedule, like, for instance, just now I did, uh, you know, Berlin and Helsinki and Oslo. And the way the show worked out was that originally, pity for me, uh, in Stockholm, the show sold out. And then they added a second show. So a day that I would have had off, they added a second show. Mm -hmm. And then with um, Helsinki, I was in Helsinki one night. And then I had to fly to Oslo to do the show there. And then had to fly back to Helsinki to do the second show. So, you know, your time doesn't always... Allow. Um, shockingly, I'm here for a couple of days in London, which is a rarity um, that I took off to to spend a couple of days. Uh, but uh, in theory, I just make notes of where I want to go back, and hopefully one day I can go back. But in the meantime, you know, you got to hustle.
1: Yep, it's all about the hustle. I can
0: sleep when I'm dead. You got to keep going.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I want you to do well. You obviously will make your own decisions, but um, Joan had the QVC jewelry.
0: Oh, I would love to do that. No, I would. you know, that's the kind of stuff that I would love to get involved in, but, you know, sadly, right now, there's just no time. Mm. You know, I mean, I like a lot of jewelry. I mean, I, you know, I make fun of people, but I wear a lot of it at the same time. A friend of mine once said to me, I was wearing too many necklaces, and a friend of mine said, you must live with a thief, because you're wearing every fucking piece of jewelry you own. (laughs) And I thought, my roommate is not a thief! Like, oh, I can't leave this here. She's going to snatch it. Uh, So... Yeah, I mean no, I I'm, I'm open to to it if it if it if it works out. Oh well. One of my favorite people is Iris Apfel. Do you know Iris Apfel?
1: Oh, glasses. Yes, yes yeah. Yes, yes, oh, yes.
0: that jewelry collection. Oh my God, is unbelievable. I'm in love with everything she wears and, and all that jewelry. I mean, that's goals. That's she's like 93. She's amazing.
1: Now she's having this moment where everyone wants her in ad campaigns. Oh, and- she's
0: she's unreal. You have to if you look at she's got a jewelry line that's out. She's got some amazing, amazing, not as fabulous as the stuff that she owns herself, mm. but because um, a lot of that is priceless. She was a, an interior decorator who traveled the world and collected. All of this stuff over the years. It's pretty insane.
1: And there's also Tova, if we Yes, Tova's pretty I met fabulous. i a few times. And how
0: was she up close? Amazing. Okay, good.
1: Um, amazing. Okay,
0: so she wasn't scary?
1: No, I mean, Okay. I mean,
0: <laughs> she might be listening.
1: <laughs> <laughs> she might be. I mean, yes, obviously there's a terrifying element, but she's, you know, spoke English and. Yeah.
0: Didn't say bad words. But, oh, that's good.
1: But there was a thing, you know, when you just walk up to somebody and you think, I know that I just have to stay
0: in my lane. Yeah, yeah.
1: I just have to stay back and she's there and I'm here and yeah, yeah, yeah. I mustn't touch.
0: And she did it. <laughs> she she gave you that.
1: She was she was so sweet, very very sweet, but well, but um... also
0: very business savvy. I mean, that's someone else, you know. That that you go, "Wow, I mean, she's been around for quite some time as far as, you know, KVC and selling mm. stuff, right?" Yeah. And I think that's what's amazing thing about Iris. You know, Iris is in her nineties, in her nineties, and then living that life, honey, and still looking fabulous, still putting on all that drag every day. (laughs) (laughs) So there's hope for me.
1: There is hope for you. There's plenty of hope for you. Um, We're at the end of our time together, so I've been spending a lot of time watching your stand up. Oh God. Watching your interviews over the last few days. So I have one final question. Oh
0: God, is this going to be the what type of tree are you? No. Okay.
1: Do you really have an uncle? Uh, yes, I do. I have many uncles.
0: I, no, you know what's funny? I've had, I have many uncles and, 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 and they always try to figure out which one or who this and who that. And I, <laughs> I think it's funny. I think it's very funny that that becomes everybody's big question. Or once again, they start to feel sorry for you. And I'm like, come on, you can turn anything no, into I fun. It was,
1: it, I knew it was a joke, but I would, I would do that joke if I didn't have an uncle.
0: No, no, I do. I do. No, no. And a lot of it is true. But it's just one of those things where, I mean, you know, maybe not the jail part, but but because he never got caught. but It's that kind of a thing where it's like, once again, you make fun of what, you know, you know, and I think it's hysterical when you can relate to it. And mm-hmm. I mean, that's just my philosophy. You have an option. You could cry about it or you can joke about it. And I mean, not everybody agrees. And that's that's OK. I mean, he definitely doesn't agree. <laughs> but uh, I could tell you he's not asking for tickets, but uh but, you know, it is what it is. You know, you got to make fun of everything that's in front of you because what? You're gonna die gonna anyway, die. <laughs> no matter what.
1: I, I I'm going to keep this book very close to me because I need to remember that you do, do. No, and you seriously,
0: and the book. I mean, in the book personally, I, I give the worst advice there is, which I think is important. And mm. and it's many important people. To share this. Well, it is because people were saying, you know, you can't say that. Why, as I always said, it's the, the the mantra people have. You can't say that. I go, yes, you can. If you're asking, you know, a 43 year old drag queen an opinion, well, you deserve the answer you get.
1: <laughs> And you do say, I have heard you also say about this book, that it's the perfect book for the bathroom.
0: Very much so. It's perfect for the bathroom. Or, or just one of those things where it's not like Gone with the Wind, where you're like, oh, where was I? <laughs>
1: you, you, can,
0: you can pick up anywhere and go, oh, OK. So the Confederates are now, no, it's not that kind of a thing. No, it's not war and peace. It's not Les Mis. You're like, oh, what happened to the bread? Uh, it's not that kind of a thing where you, know, you can pick it up, whatever it is. Or you can read it as a friend reads it. There's also an audio version that's available. Do
1: you- I
0: did, yes. I had to spend four days in a studio. Talk about taxing. That was far harder than I thought it would be. Yeah, it's quite a bit. Like eight hours a day, just endlessly talking. And that's and when I realized how ridiculous and insane I was. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, when you read it out loud, it's much worse.
1: And then when you're saying things and you you flub up a word that you shouldn't, you're like, why am I unable to read all of a sudden?
0: Well, completely. And also just finding the right, like there was times I would say something like, oh, no, that's not the inflection I want. Mm. You know, so it's it was kind of like an audition, you know, more or less. But you're in a room and then there was two older gentlemen who were a riot um, that were, you know, probably, In their 50s and 60s You know, these two old Jewish men That were the sweetest thing They made me bread, they had matzo ball soup in case I needed this during the break. Um, and they had been, you know, they were a recording company in Los Angeles, and they had done everything. And he loved to tell me every story and every book that he did. He did a book with George Burns, he did a book with Jane Fonda, you know, all of this. So I'm thinking, oh, great, I'm coming in with this shit dialogue. How is this going to roll over? And we sat there, and when he would laugh, I could not stop laughing, because I thought this was great. And he, one day I was screwing up something, I don't know what I was talking about in the book, something uh, really ridiculous. And he starts cackling, and he go, I said, is there Everything okay? And he goes, yeah, He goes, well, I got to tell you, the last time we had, well, the last book we did was last week, and it was a woman reading The Shape of Water. <laughs> and he goes, this is definitely up there. This is far more entertaining than that one. I thought, okay, good. Then I'm in good way. If, if a man who doesn't know me is laughing, I'm good. I'm the good. The Shape of Water was the a The Shape book? of Water. It was, do you know this? It was a movie. Then it became a book. It was the reverse. Yeah, he told me the whole story. Yeah, can you oh, imagine somebody reading that? Ooh. Out loud. <laughs> I couldn't bother. Yeah,
1: that would be an interesting one. Yeah,
0: he did tell me a great story about George Burns, though, um, uh, who I loved, you know, was crotchety old comedian and who went in to read his you know biography. And he's there and they're talking. And uh, the guy says, all right. Well, you know, the guy in the booth is like, OK, let's go, Mr. Burns. And Mr. Burns just sat there with his cigar, which you weren't supposed to be smoking in the room and all of this madness, but he's George Burns. Mm. And he's sitting there and no one knows what to do because he's obviously just one of those people like a tova. You just stay in your background. And, uh, after about like five minutes of silence, the guy goes, Mr. Burns, he goes, you didn't say action. And I go, wow, that's genius. You know, cause he's old school. So if you didn't say action, he just sat there smoking his cigar. And I thought that's brilliant. <laughs>
1: Oh, I do love a bit of old school
0: Oh, and there's so many stories There's so many But they were they were lovely And uh, they got a kick out of it And I learned a lot about people too It was pretty funny
1: Well, I, for one, am um, um, going to continue to buy everything that you put up so Oh,
0: well, you're fabulous. too kind Well, I will send you some, some Bianca Remover Available on Amazon, Amazon UK, and TheMagicPads.com
1: Links will be in the show notes um, You're good Thank you so much Please for joining thank me you. On the podcast. It's been so much fun.
0: I'm just praying my luggage is here. Me too, me <laughs> I too. Can you imagine? Drag be. Race Mini Challenge. <laughs> ah!
1: There's a Primark literally around the corner. Oh, I
0: know, honey. Yeah. I've already hit that Primark. I love Primark. <laughs> Michelle Visage and I love Primark here. I don't know what fascinates me. I don't know because everything is just cheap or it's because the prices don't necessarily make sense to me till I get <laughs> to the counter. It just, little numbers look cute. I'm like, oh, I'll take these socks. I'll do
1: that. They've got nice baskets. It's big, it's airy. The one yes. you're near is, it's no. a very chic one
0: and I hit all of them I mean it, it's unreal it's my favorite place to go I'm serious every sock I own is from Primark <laughs> there you go the little things you know
1: <laughs> uh, the exclusive on the Emma Gun show it thank is. you so much thank you Thank you so much for listening. I do hope you enjoyed that episode of the podcast. If you would like to get in touch with me, simply email me at thebeautypodcast@gmail.com, at gmail.com or you can send me a DM on Instagram and Twitter where I am at Emma Guns. If you want to chat to me and thousands of other listeners of this podcast, then I strongly advise that you click the link to join the Facebook group, which can be found in the show notes, which are wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. And if you feel so inclined, I would be so grateful for a Christmas present for a five star review, wherever it is that you are listening to this show. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one.